Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's murdering my chickens? I'm Robert Evans, host of Behind the Bastards, the show where we tell you everything you don't know about the worst people in all of history. And uh, I was just talking about uh, Zanku Chicken in Los Angeles, which has a, a dark past with uh, our guest today, uh, comedian and director, the Los Angeles-based Sarah June. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for not uh, attacking me over that pretty bad introduction. That's which fine. Which is not, not one worse. of my best ones. Have you? Oh, yeah. That's nice to hear. Yeah, you know, you're not the worst. Is that good? That's is that my, helping? Yeah, well, that's my goal. This is sort of a, leaving, a dark like, podcast, so I feel like I can be very yeah. gray with my compliments. Hey, that wasn't terrible. You're not the worst. Well, I mean, as a person, that's always my goal mm-hmm. when I like leave a social interaction, is that everyone agree, well, that's not the worst person yeah. we've ever talked mm-hmm. to. Yeah, so... Hey, man, shoot for the moon. Even if you miss... Yeah. Pro- hopefully people won't hate yeah. you and talk about how much they hate you right after you leave. That's definitely not happening. Because mm-hmm. no one does that to Neil Armstrong, who did shoot for the moon. I don't know. That guy did a lot of bad stuff, I think. Neil Armstrong? Uh, no, I'm thinking of Buzz Aldrin. Okay, let's just leave that at that. I'll just I'll tease that yeah, about just... I'll tease that about Neil Armstrong. Um, time's up, Neil Armstrong. No further comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We will, we will slander... An astronaut, and then just move right on yep. without explaining mm-hmm. it. I like this idea. Yeah, beautiful, perfect. That's right. You're on blast. I had a friend talk to me like a year ago. I was like, "Oh, I'm going to put you on a show with this guy," and he's like, "Oh, that guy." And I was like, 
yeah, what's up with him? He was like, oh, that guy sucks. And I was like, oh my God, what are you talking about? Who did who did he hurt? And he was like, no, I just mean like he's like really awkward and not funny. I was like, you can't, in this environment, you can't just say, oh, that guy sucks and expect me to not assume that means he raped one of your friends. Yeah, I had this, not the you gotta same You got to be specific, problem, you know what I mean? Years. When somebody's just annoying, yeah, just yeah. be like, oh, that guy's really annoying. Don't be like, oh, that guy sucks. Because I think it's something much worse. Yeah, I had a a years long running joke about hating Will Wheaton and would make cryptic comments about how terrible he is and the awful things he's done, <laughs> and it was just like a, a joke because he just seemed like the most harmless right. possible like person to make fun of. Yeah, and then but then time was being up. like, what do you know about Will Wheaton? Did he attack somebody? And I was like, oh no, this is not. I didn't want to. Yeah, like... you can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, but then he wound up. Kind of defending uh, a guy who did do a bunch of fucked up shit. So well, I guess there you go. Maybe it turns I was out you were right, right all, all along. along. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm a hero. Is he speaking the of heroes? <laughs> no, we are talking about a fella named Napoleon Hill. Have you ever heard of Napoleon Hill? No. Have you ever heard of a book called Think and Grow Rich? Oh yes. Yeah, there we go. Everybody's seen, everybody yeah. listening to this, if you don't have a copy of the book, you have a friend or family member who has this somewhere on their bookshelf. It's like, it's 100% like Proto the, the Secret. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. Very it's very Marianne. much Proto the Secret. This is my problem with Marianne Williamson is like, she's funny and all, and she talks yeah. about governing with love and all, but then like, I read her book, and it's kind of Think and Grow Rich. Yeah, and that's what part of why I want to talk about Think and Grow Rich today, because Napoleon Hill sort of founded the, uh, the he wasn't like the first self-help author. Right. He wasn't like the first business advice author, but he was the first guy to kind of, in a modern sense, do this sort of quasi, uh, almost spiritual approach to like business and, and personal like life advice, where like you're mixing in success advice on like how to run a company with like weird metaphysical theories like yes. he was the guy who invented that yeah 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 um he was the one who brought you know the the idea of the law of attraction to uh to wall street yeah yeah and yeah that that's the guy that we're talking about today but before we get into him and his life i want to talk a little bit about the new thought movement um now whether or not you've heard of it, the New Thought Movement has had a big impact on your world. The central idea of the movement was that your thoughts and your affirmations can materially alter the nature of reality. Magic. So that's magic. Dis- that's, it's magic. It's magic. Um, but it's magic for people who, like, who won't generally say magic. Are like, yeah, because they're Christian or whatever. Yeah. Or they just, like, don't want to seem weird. Yeah, or they're atheists and they want to like come up with a scientific justification for like new thought contains multitudes. There's Christian chunks of it, there's atheist right. chunks of it. The secret you the can Christian see chunks is are like trying a modern so day. hard. The Christian chunks are trying so hard to not yeah. be considered witchcraft. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I, 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 the one of my favorite things is like people who are like hardcore fundamentalist Christian and hate witchcraft, but also talk the same way that my friends who are into Aleister Crowley do about certain things. <laughs> like Alex Jones was just talking about on InfoWars how um, Donald Trump's 4th of July speech was a a ritual, mm-hmm. uh, ritual magic. But he said he like he had to emphasize it's Christian ritual magic. But like he's still wow. talking about like <laughs> it's just so batty. But uh, this is this is this is less batty than that. Um, which is the point of it is that it's supposed to be they're supposed to be arguing that like this isn't magic this is just like uh like part of how the physical world works right Your it's thoughts, magic but for you know, sadness create reality yeah 
magic for sad nerds. So the secret would be one example of a modern day descendant of the right. new thought movement yeah. that's sort of on the more secular, uh, not necessarily atheistic, but certainly secular Oprah side of things. The secret's certainly. meant for anybody. Yes. Now, prosperity gospel Christianity would be another descendant mm. of the new thought movement. Wow, one of my now, favorite if, if you, things in the world. Oh yeah, like it's absolutely abhorrent. Um, if you haven't lived in the deep south or watched that one John Oliver special, prosperity gospel Christians are the folks who essentially will like get on their TV stations and beg little old ladies to take on credit card debt in order to make thousands of dollars in donations to their church. Then they'll use those donations to buy like fancy private jets and mansions and stuff. And the claim that they make to these people they're fleecing out of money is that God needs them to show their faith by making a seed donation that will magically cause God to bless them with even more money. Mm -hmm. um, so the prosperity gospel is another descendant of the New Thought movement. Uh, and by it's it's more widespread than you'd guess. By some counts, 17% <laughs> of... You're just, you're selling, you're selling money, God's yeah. love. You're like, you got to invest in God's yeah. love right now. This is going to climb. Trust me, baby. This is going to skyrocket. You're going to be rolling in money. And it's clean because it's all from God. Because it's all from God, baby. Yeah, the the term that they use a lot is prove God with your donation, which is like, seems like it should be blasphemous. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, well, you know, these guys I'm are... not a Christian, but that seems blasphemous to me. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible about money. And um, most of the stuff that, that Jesus said is is kind of contrary to a lot of the other stuff which is a lot of like rules about debt and borrowing and you know what's allowed and not allowed and what you have to do to your debts yeah and, like, that, in, that interest is is a, an abomination <laughs> yeah yeah i remember him beating the shit out of bankers yeah there was a lot of that <laughs> like i remember i if i'm not mistaken that's the only time jesus beat somebody with a whip <laughs> <laughs> he was real pissed <laughs> Yeah. Um, anyway, so but the prosperity gospel Christianity is wacky and very ripe for parody, but it's also really popular. And By it's some also counts, incredibly destructive. Yeah, yeah, very destructive and very popular. About seventeen percent of all American Christians adhere to prosperity theology in some form or another. Wow. Roughly one million Americans uh, attend prosperity gospel preaching churches every single Sunday. So this is a sizable movement. Um, there's a lot more to say about this stuff, and our current president ties into it. But before we get to Napoleon Hill and his role in all of this, I wanna I wanna keep keep on this track for a little bit. So the New Thought movement sprang up in the late 1800s, and the name New Thought embodied the belief that, of course, thoughts could create reality without the need for prayer or worship. The founder of the movement was a Portland, Maine clockmaker named Phineas Parkhurst Quimby, which is a great name for a guy who founds a, a, a weird cult style And of makes thinking. clocks. Let's not, yeah, let's not yeah, forget Phineas. he's a guy who lives in Maine and makes clocks. I already don't trust him. I feel like they hand you a clock-making kit as soon as you come out of the womb named Phineas. Like, well, here's your fucking clock. <laughs> Get used to it. Yeah, uh, he focused, uh, like, his teachings focused on, like, curing illnesses with positive thinking, and Phineas theorized that disease could be banished by the redirection of thoughts. One of his students was a na woman named Mary Baker Eddy, who went on to found the Christian science religious tradition. Mm. Christian scientists Connecting are the folks who have been yeah, exactly. These are the folks who like will let their kids die because they try to treat lymphoma or whatever with prayers. Um, they don't believe they in using medicine because the they see it as being monitor, like against God's a, will. Yeah. 
Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, now, I, I, I've got a lot of – I've had a lot of information on the New Thought Movement and a very solid write-up by a, a website called The Conversation, uh, who does some pretty good stuff. I love having conversations. Um, yeah, I, I love conversations, too. Yeah, wow, this is a great conversation. Notes. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, their article notes that by the 1890s, New Thought had morphed away from healing disease uh, and onto helping people achieve success through positive thinking. So this starts as a guy being like, we're going to redirect people's thoughts to make them healthier. Uh, and then over the course of a couple of decades, it turns into like, positive thoughts make money. Well, what um, could be healthier so that's, than that's being super rich? Happens. Yeah, it, it is statistically the healthiest thing for you is being rich as shit. Um, so... Uh, that article quotes historian Beryl Satter's explanation for the reasoning of the new thought of new thought believers. Quote, since human thought had creative power, negative thoughts materialized in negative situations, while spiritual thoughts could form a positive reality. Uh, so you can see how that could be a harmless thing for just like, I don't know, you're 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 the lady who lived like one of your friend's moms growing up who was always into like weird books. Uh, about self-help like you could see how it could be harmless but you could also see how those beliefs could lead to kind of toxic attitudes towards the poor uh yep um mm-hmm. yeah because if you just have to think yourself into a better situation then you're kind of blaming people who are poor and sick on their sickness and their poverty yeah it's just because um, they didn't uh vibe high enough and it yeah, uh removes yeah. all of uh, societal organization as a factor for why someone might be poor, you know, or just, you know, it, it removes the idea that um, uh, that social class is like not entirely your choice, <laughs> which is kind of, I thought exactly. that was sort of the whole point of class was that you didn't really get a choice, you know, and, and yeah. if you wanted to jump, it was going to be like almost impossible. But they were like, no, 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 poor people, they're just not thinking enough about money. They don't want it really. Yeah. They don't want it really, and that's why they're poor. And it's no coincidence that the New Thought movement, this shift in the New Thought movement towards this sort of more toxic attitude, happened in the Gilded Age, mm. um, which is the previous period in American history that's most like our current period in American <laughs> history. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to quote again from that conversation article. Quote, a book that illustrates the New Thought movement's shift towards individual prosperity is Ralph Waldo Treen's In Tune with the Infinite. A popular writer and lecturer, Treen taught that one's ability to channel positive thoughts would lead to success. Published in 1897, the book sold millions of copies and gained Treen a wide following, including from the automobile industrialist Henry Ford. So Treen was one of the first people to really push the idea that happiness was the product of positive thinking, not Mm -hmm. brain chemistry or your physical circumstances. He wrote in his book, quote, if one holds themselves in the thought of poverty, they will be poor, and the chances are that they will remain in poverty. If one holds themselves, whatever present conditions may be, continually in the thought of prosperity, they set into operation forces that will sooner or later bring them into prosperous conditions. Hmm. Yeah. Hold on, I'm thinking really hard about everyone Venmoing me six dollars. Yeah. I'm thinking about yeah, yeah, how bad <laughs> I, I wanna I'm manifesting yeah. so hard. Yeah. Is it working? Uh I I gotta check my Venmo. Check yeah, I'll check, check it at the end account. of the episode. So if you get at Hey Sorry June. Yeah. Venmo me. Yeah. Six dollars. <laughs> if you believe in the secret. Yeah, your seed donations to Sarah June will be uh, will be given back in kind by the gods of yeah. The, the know, seed Twitter donations that you give to me will manifest in uh, my purchase of weed, uh, and and that is how your 
your investment will blossom here. In fact, me getting high is in a way a proof of God through your donation. So prove God by donating (laughs) marijuana money to Sarah June. Yeah. (laughs) Prove your faith. So, yeah. Uh, I think it's time now to uh, to get into our main subject for today. I just thought some of that background would be would be useful. Very helpful. So Oliver Napoleon Hill was born in 1883, uh, the son of an unlicensed dentist slash moonshiner and a woman named Sarah, <laughs> who I'm sure was quite nice. Uh, dentist slash moonshiner. In... What a cool dad. <laughs> yeah, that's a fucking great dad. Your dad pulling out teeth, drunk as fuck, just like yeah. making white lightning. You know, he had a yeah. bunch of like bottles of like pure ethanol that he kept teeth in. Just a crazy lab oh, in, hell the, in yeah. the shed, just preserving all kinds of gums. What? No wonder his synergy had to be such a things. freak. I'm I'm a big fan of like like efficient synergy. You know, mm-hmm. uh, totally uh, researching this podcast by listening to an audiobook on a run or whatever. Wow! And I love the efficient synergy of both ripping teeth out of people's heads and making the moonshine you need to sterilize them and <laughs> yeah. cut and work as a painkiller. Like, yeah, it's dude. Really, I mean. It's, he sounds like he would get you super fucked up, and then when oh, you yeah. blacked out, he would pull your teeth, which, you know, what a great guy. Yeah, no, they have to pour you home from yeah. fucking the, Dr. Hill, the, so the was fake he rich? doctor dentist. No, no, but they, they did okay. Like right. they, they were, I, you know, I don't know if you'd even call them middle class, but I, they weren't impoverished. Um, they grew up in rural Virginia, yeah, Wise County. As a child, uh, Oliver's Whites? family called him Nap. Did you say Wise County? Wise. Ah, uh, okay. But it was a pretty white county, mm. I think. You don't say. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to guess. Uh, but I am talking out of my ass there. Um, as a child, his fa- uh, family called him Nap. Years later, Napoleon would write that his family represented three generations of, quote, ignorance, illiteracy, and poverty. But... <laughs> The New York Times notes that this was probably not the case. Quote, in fact, Hill's grandfather was a printer. His father became a self-taught dentist and treated his neighbors until the state licensing authorities got wind of his activities. Excuse me, self-taught dentist? A self-taught dentist, and he got shut down for doing it, but then he went to dental school at age 40 and practiced legally. Wow. He was like, like, I'm going straight. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going straight, straight to be a dentist. Did he still illegally make yeah. moonshine even after becoming a oh, legal he, he dentist? Oh, he must have. You know, you don't stop making yeah. moonshine. That's just the hobby. That's a calling. <laughs> yeah. Speaking That's of divine your duty intervention, to the world. Yeah, I, w- I would consider the concept of moonshine to be proof of divine intervention. <laughs> yeah. Now, Napoleon's mom died when he was nine years old, uh, and his father remarried the next year to a woman named Martha, who was the widow of a school principal and seemed determined to push her new son towards a life of the mind. See, as a kid, I'll show Napoleon you the life had a reputation mind. for wildness. Sorry. What's that? No, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, Napoleon had a reputation for wildness. He loved hiking around the woods in the middle of nowhere in Virginia with a handgun firing at whatever he saw. Now, he was 12 at the time when he was doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, that's 12-year-old Napoleon wandering around the woods with a handgun shooting stuff Mm -hmm. all the time. That sounds like Virginia, Um, yeah. yeah, that sounds like that sounds like Virginia. Uh, so Miss Martha comes into the picture as his stepmom, and she sees this kid like living half feral in the trees with a gun, and decides maybe he could use some parenting. Hmm. So she buys him a typewriter, and she tells him, "If you become as good with the typewriter as you are with that gun, you may become rich and famous and known throughout the world." You can get pretty now, rich by shooting people with a gun. You can actually get very rich by shooting people with a gun. Um, 
Now, uh, it's possible that that conversation never happened. Napoleon Hill, like, that's based on his recollections and an unpublished autobiography. And Napoleon Hill was a notorious and inveterate con man. And a lot of what we're going to talk about is based on his recollections oh, of Jesus. his life. Oh, Jesus. And it's, so, he was clearly full yeah. of bullshit his whole life. <laughs> and all we know yeah, about him he, is his lies. Was, yeah, we, we, we know a few other things. Um, so my primary sources for this article are a New York Times article published in 1995, which is good but fairly short, uh, and a Gizmodo article by Matt Novak called All American Huckster. Hmm. An article would be kind of an unfair way to describe what Mr. Novak wrote. He essentially put together like a short nonfiction book that's just published on a website. Hmm. It's like tens of thousands of words long, exhaustively researched, um, and clearly took him, I think he spent at least like six straight months putting Jesus. this thing together um so he like he like traveled around and like found went through archives to like find original like uh, articles about napoleon hill written while he was alive and like it's a very very good article um so i want to i want to kind of highlight mr novak's work up front because he did some great work and i don't think i haven't really found any other journalist who's dug into napoleon hill to this kind of extent so he's he's pretty critical um so From what we can put together based on a variety of sources, young Oliver's first job was writing up news uh, articles for a small newspaper. Some of his articles would be picked up by local newspapers in Virginia, uh, and this became a source of spare cash for the enterprising young teenager. His biographers write, quote, Napoleon would soon become a prolific source of stories. His writing was unpublished, if not crude, but he compensated with unbounded verve and a vivid imagination. Indeed, he later recalled that when news was scarce and there weren't stories to tell, he simply made them up. So that's his first wow, job. Great, we're, we're, great we're career blogging. will be a pattern. Yeah. Now, uh, Hill claims to have first gotten married when he was 15 years old. In a convoluted story for which there are no records and no uh, evidence outside of Hill's autobiography, he claims a young woman fell in love with him uh, and she was pregnant from somebody else, but she lied and said that the child was his. Mm. Um, And when Napoleon married her thinking the child was his, but then had the marriage annulled when he learned the truth. Now, there's no records of this marriage anywhere. We don't know what actually happened. Based on the rest of his life, my guess is that he just abandoned this woman and her child, who was his child too. Right. Uh, but he claims he got she got he got hoodwinked by her. Yeah, yeah. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. So uh, Oliver Napoleon Hill graduated high school at age seventeen and went to a business school until nineteen oh one. When he was eighteen, he started to work with a coal magnate named Rufus Ayers. In his article for Gizmodo, Matt Novak writes, "Quote." Ayers was said to be impressed with Hill, who, according to the official biography, compensated for his youth and five foot six stature by adopting the appearance of a serious young executive. Ramrod straight posture, impeccable double breasted suits, immaculately pressed white shirts, conservative bow ties, and white handkerchiefs neatly posed in the breast pocket. I hate this guy. So that's how young Napoleon. Yeah, you know, you're not a fan? What is it? Is it the handkerchief? It's not the handkerchief, it's the immaculately pressed white shirts. It's also the mm-hmm. you know, I bet he uh Wow. Yeah, this is this is the kind of this is like a young Republican kind of guy, you know. Yeah, he he looks like he looks like the kind of guy. Like I'm sure he's the kind of guy who'd wear a full suit in D.C. in the middle of the summer. Um, yeah, 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 but also like as a 17 year old, this is you know the guy who yeah. who wears a suit like when he doesn't have to, and he kind of thinks everybody else is worse for not wearing a suit. Like he kind of acts like it's a joke. He's like, haha, it's my thing. I wear suits, but he actually thinks everybody who doesn't wear suits all the time is a loser. Yeah, you get that feeling from Napoleon, or it may just have been, it may just have been like a calculation because he's a con man where he was like, well, everyone trusts a guy in a suit, 
And yeah. I, I need extra trust because I'm conning people constantly. So, so I should always like, wear a suit. I'm still thinking about that last quote where he's like, you know, when there's not any news, I make it up. Aren't I a good journalist? Yeah. Like, do, he doesn't know what being a journalist is. Well, in a little bit of fairness to him, at that point in time, there wasn't there was a, lot a lot of, of weird bullshit in papers. Done. Yeah, no, that's yeah. true. There was a lot of crazy yeah. shit in papers. Yeah. But, like, you weren't supposed to tell people we make it up. You know, you were supposed to tell people no. we know a lot of stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you, you're, yeah, it's, it, he, he's, he's from the beginning, not somebody to whom the truth is, uh, Important? a major concept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just not a, not a fully fleshed out concept. Truth, uh, it's like sketchy, yeah. sketchy outline. There's something there. If you say something, maybe it's the truth, maybe it's not. <laughs> it's a nice idea yeah. to Napoleon Hill. It's like, oh, that's, so you six know what? Months- that makes me think of something else, some bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> So six months into his employment, uh, Oliver Napoleon Hill uh, was promoted to work as a clerk for a mine in Richlands, Virginia. Now, the first major tests of his professional acumen, other than his ability to wear a suit, uh, came when the manager of a bank, which was also owned by his employer, the same guy who owned the mine, uh, this bank manager got wasted and accidentally shot a black bellhop to death. Um, Now, we have a couple of different versions of the story. It's possible he dropped his gun and it fired by accident. It's possible it was an act of outright murder. We just really don't know. Um, But the New York Times reports what happened next. Quote, With the boss away, Hill took charge, arranging to have the death covered up. As a result, his employer made him manager of the mine at the age of only 19. Yeah. (laughs) Mm, This all tracks with the suit thing. Yeah, this all tracks with the suit thing. Now, according to Napoleon Hill's autobiography, when he arrived at the bank after the shooting, the drunken manager had left the vault open, and thousands of dollars were scattered around. Hill goes out of his way to note that he scrupulously recorded and reorganized all of the money without taking anything. He wrote, quote, I could have appropriated fifteen to $20,000 or perhaps more without the slightest indication that I had taken the money. Hmm... You, you, you absolutely took the money if you if you make the point of noting like I could have stolen all this money but I didn't. Nobody, I, I, the kind of people nobody would who bring don't that steal up money from their unless bosses they had done it. Don't bring that up. Yeah, exactly. I'm gonna guess he stole some money. But Hill claims that in gratitude for his honesty, Rufus Ayers promoted him to uh, manage the coal mine. Yeah, that's a thing um, bankers do. Reward honesty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one way or the other. Napoleon Hill covers up a murder and winds up in charge of a coal mine. And, ha- and, and uh, makes out with, you know, maybe $15,000. By yeah, his own guess, estimate. I mean, you know, if, if, yeah, by his own estimate. Yeah, maybe fifteen grand. <laughs> Um, So, yeah, that's that's the story so far. This guy is uh, like, right is like now, Pete Buttigieg so far. Where, like, everything, he, he just keeps, like, moving upward, you know? And he's like, aren't I great at this? And everyone's like, I don't know, but sure. And then he just, he just keeps going up. Eh, maybe, maybe. I don't know much about Pete Buttigieg. Oh, he's kind um, of like, a, he was like a top of his class, you know, like went to an Ivy League, like did really good grades, you know, high achiever. Yeah, I wouldn't say Napoleon was a high achiever. I think he was more <laughs> of a, uh, I think he was more of a guy who kept sliding into the right place at the right time with the right lie. Mm. Um, and and that that's that's where he is so far. Um, is he like gets into this good situation and kind of wangles a job by covering up a murder? Um, like who hasn't? I don't know who I would this compare economy? him to, but yeah, that's where he is right now. So, uh, we're gonna break for ads because it's time for a product and maybe a service or two. Whoa! Um, but when we come back, we're going to talk about a whole bunch of fucking cons. Just a, a whole 
A lot of conning people out of money. I can't um, wait. So, after the break. Products! The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials (laughs) cover-up. You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. 
It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back, and we we found who Napoleon Hill does remind us a little of, and it's Roger Stone. Um, like I, yeah, I think that's a that's a good comparison, Sophie. Um, I think this is what Roger Stone would have been if he'd never gotten into politics, because he yeah. is he is yeah. Well, we'll tell the rest of his story so that you can understand why I think that. So on June seventeenth, nineteen o three, Napoleon Hill married a woman named Edith Whitman. Their daughter, Edith Whitman Hill, was born two years later in 1905. The family moved to Marbury, Alabama, when their daughter was six months old. But Napoleon sent them back to Virginia five months after that. Then in 1907, he moved to Mobile, Alabama to start a timber company with his family still waiting behind in Virginia. So he spends maybe a couple of months in total, like, actually living with his family. Mm. Uh, And then he's off to start this new company. Now... One probable reason that he spent so much time moving about outside of his business is that Napoleon Hill had a tremendous addiction to prostitutes. One of Napoleon's friends later testified during divorce proceedings that his wife instituted about his behavior on a 1906 business trip. Quote, Soon after we reached Bluefield, West Virginia, we went to a house of ill fame between 8 and 9 o'clock of that night, and Mr. Oliver N. Hill, within a few minutes after arriving there, took one of the girls to a room in the same house and stayed with her until about 12 o'clock that night. Both of the women who stayed at this house were of easy virtue, and Mr. Hill went there for the purpose of having sexual intercourse with these women. He admitted to me that night when we were going to the hotel that he had sexual intercourse with the girl that he took to the room. That's, uh, pretty clear. Yep. Pretty clear. That's the one he told his yeah. wife about. Well, no, no, this is the one that this is the one that one of his friends told the judge about when his wife sued for divorce. Oh, oh, I see. Okay, great, yeah. great way to find that yeah. out. Yeah. Now I think she probably guessed, although yep. he was again never around. Right. Uh, Napoleon and Edith were together for five years, but only actually again together for a fraction of that. In court proceedings, Edith claimed that he was frequently violent when they were together. At one point during a visit to Virginia, he left with their young daughter and delivered her to his stepmother, and then threatened his wife that he would never give their daughter back to her. In January of 1908, uh, he wrote his wife this letter, quote, I'm leaving the country where you'll never bother me. You can only communicate with me through my father, and not unless he thinks best. Wow. So, Very excited yeah, to see this kind of guy become extremely rich. Well, I have some good news there. Um but but we'll get to that. I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to bury the lead. He does briefly. Um it does seem interesting to me that this is basically the same thing L. Ron Hubbard did to his second wife, really? uh kidnapping their baby and moving away, except for in Hubbard's case, he took the baby to Cuba uh and drank heavily while writing a book. Um, whereas Napoleon at least left his infant daughter with family. So we can say conclusively that Napoleon Hill was a better father than L. Ron Hubbard. Um, There are worse things you can do with a baby than give them to their stepmother. Yeah, worse things you can do with a baby that you steal. Mm -hmm. Yep, stolen baby. That that, that you steal, yeah. Look, if he's not abandoning babies, he's stealing them. Yeah, that's that's this guy. He's uh, he, he mostly abandons babies. Mostly In fairness abandoned. to Napoleon, he only stole the one baby, and it was his baby. And it was his baby. I mean, most babies are stolen by their parents, mm-hmm. but yeah. So three months after writing that letter, Edith managed to get back her baby and successfully file for divorce. She alleged that Napoleon sometimes threw their small child on the bed and choked her. So actually, he's not a better uh, father well, than L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, no, that guy sucks. Yeah, Hubbard. Hubbard didn't beat his kids. Well, he actually, 
This is really a pointless thing. They're both terrible parents. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we shouldn't uh, <laughs> dwell too much on kids this. Too. I don't know why I, I try to evaluate them. Yeah. You know, we, we want somebody uh, so, yeah, to be the Edith good guy here, alleged... but it turns out they're all bad. I, I shouldn't look for the good guy in L. Ron Hubbard. Um, right. But this podcast isn't called that, Behind the Good mistake. Guys. No, no. So uh, Edith also alleged that at one point her husband threatened to blow her brains out on a crowded city street. Numerous people who worked with Napoleon testified to his constant dalliances with prostitutes and habitual infidelity. Uh, now, so, yeah, the, the, the marriage splits up. Uh, and, you Thank know, God. at this point in time, Napoleon's timber business isn't exactly doing well either. Because it turns out that rather than being a business, it was just kind of a scam. Mm. So Napoleon bought Big ten dollars to $20,000 worth of lumber um, using credit from companies around the country. So he would, like, buy the lumber and, like, sign a contract saying he would pay them back later with interest. And then he would just take the lumber and sell it, like, individually to people for cash. But he had no plan well, like of on actually the paying corner? back the credit. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Like yeah. He was just driving around yard. being like, you guys want some fucking wood? Yeah. yeah just... free. He would sell the wood for cash and just keep moving so that nobody could ever. Wow. Uh, yeah. Like that That was the whole plan. <laughs> oh, where'd you get that wood? Just uh, fell wood off a truck. selling it on the street. Yeah. <laughs> wow, <laughs> fell off a truck. really advanced. Yeah. He's not a great con man, but he's a constant <laughs> one. Yeah, um, he's so, like making up news and telling everybody and fucking stealing wood. Yeah, this is the yeah, most yeah. traceable w- crime. Wood thief, wood thief, and fake journalist at this point is his his resume, and and stole a baby once. Yeah, so. By late 1908, many of his creditors had realized they were being fleeced. Matt Novak cites an article in the October issue of the Pensacola Journal covering Hill's lumber fraud. The whereabouts of Owen Hill, said to be the president and general manager of the Acre Hill Lumber Company, is causing considerable anxiety among creditors of the concern in the state and several other lumber sections. Hill has not been at his office since September 8th. Warrants were issued for Hill's arrest. At the same time, the post office started looking into claims of mail fraud, uh, which Napoleon Hill had also been busy committing. Wow. He was charged with check fraud uh, as well. Uh, Hill spent the fall and winter in 1908 on the run, dodging law enforcement and creditors as he gradually made his way to Washington, D.C. Well, this is what I'm Once saying. You there, can't be weighed dropped... down by a baby when you're dodging creditors, no, you know, running wife. up and down the country. The wife, is she or... just like really holding him back from being the slimiest bag he can be? Mm-hmm. And and once he's free of his wife and free of his creditors and all of the people that he fleeced in his lumber business and his check fraud, uh, and he moves to Washington, D.C., he drops the first name Oliver and, and starts going by Napoleon Hill because he's a new man now. Right, right, right. He's changed. Yeah. Just and like Aziz. That'll make it harder to be found. Yeah. So 1909, when he winds up in D.C., is a time in which cars were still new and very exciting to just about everybody. There was a lot of money to be made in the nascent automobile industry, and more importantly for Mr. Hill, there was a lot of money to be made in lying to people about the nascent automobile industry. In order to understand this, you have to think of cars not as the ubiquitous tools they are today, but more like the internet and social media were a decade ago. Scams are always going to be rampant with any new technology or doing that sweet spot after it becomes clear how valuable it is, but before before anyone really understands it. So, like, cars are in that place in 1909 when Napoleon Hill winds up in D.C. So uh, he joins immediately an automotive enthusiast group called the Automobile Club of Washington, and it inspires him to create his own organization, the Automobile College of Washington, in early 1909. Already already fake. Already not a college. (laughs) Just a club. Oh, oh, yeah. Not a college. It's a a club. 
what is he gonna? I no, I don't know a, what what is automobile it's kind fraud. Of a college. Is it a college? Does he train? Does he learn it's things? A, it's a college, kind of in the same way Trump University is a college. Okay. Um, so they're both. Scams. It's a little more legit. Okay. It's a little more legit than Trump University. So the the idea is that the auto college is a training program okay. that would cl- that would teach you how to build cars with six weeks of training. Oh, oh, like a coding uh, boot camp, but for cars. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like he's promising graduates that they'll be able to earn between seventy five dollars and two hundred dollars per week, which is like really good money. Totally. Uh, and all they have to do is like pay to learn how to build cars. Now, the reality of the situation: these people were building cars, so there is actual learning how to build cars going on here. But what Napoleon has done is basically set up a car factory wherein people pay to work there. Oh, like that's wow. that's that's the business. That's the scam. Yeah. What a <laughs> so good one. This is paying... his best one yet. Yeah, this is a good this, this is one's a decent like, scam. This one's like yeah. legal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's an actual product. People are presumably learning something. Right. Um, but you're making a bunch of money. And no, like presumably, folks aren't realizing: Are we just paying to work in a factory? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I kind of want to do like a coal mining college. Like, <laughs> I'll teach you how to mine coal. You just gotta mine coal. Look, <laughs> give uh, me all the coal you mine. <laughs> uh, no, you're not doing it right. Do it for another few years. You need another few years of coal school. Yeah. It's like if the Washington Post rebranded as a journalism school and started charging people to write op-eds. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. Now, uh, so, yeah, Hill worked out a deal with the Carter Motor Corporation in 1910 and 1911. Um, and basically, they uh, that's who he was making cars for. Mm-hmm. So his students were producing vehicles that were then sold by the Carter Motor Company. Uh, and, you know, it was a great deal for Carter because they get free labor and Napoleon gets free money. Uh, and the students, you know, you might even think that it's semi-legitimate because at least the students are going to learn how to assemble cars, mm-hmm. and they could presumably get a job elsewhere. That they didn't pay um, for. Yeah, that they didn't pay for. That is an actual job. Yeah. Um, so presumably, like, this this is, I would say this is the high point of Napoleon Hill's life as a person who did things that were almost legitimate. Yeah. Um, He's doing now, a, a classic running... capitalist scam here, you know? It involves yeah. slavery, it involves new technology, and it involves a lot of lying. So this is, you know, he's really, but, he's got the three, mwah, together, beautiful but, scam. But like all great scams that involve slavery, it involves, like, it's slavery where the the people who are kind of slaves don't think of themselves that way because mm-hmm. they're paying for the privilege. Right, right. Like, it is, it's slavery well, it's not plus voluntary profit. servitude, so... I don't know. Slavery might it, slavery is a bit far. He's just tricking people into into being employees right. and telling them but yeah, it's it's I don't know what you call people in this situation. It's like running a film school and like secretly having them make the new like if, if Disney started a <laughs> film school and secretly had people make new Marvel movies and didn't pay them. Yeah. Like like um yeah. So while he's running this kind of half-scam car college, Napoleon meets another woman named Elizabeth Horner. Now, his main attraction to Elizabeth seemed to be that her family was rich. Uh, They got hitched, and shortly thereafter, Napoleon's bogus car college collapses. Um, Now, Did everyone just kind of catch on? Well, it seems like what happened is that the Carter Car Company, who he was making vehicles for, Mm -hmm. fell apart. Probably because their vehicles were being assembled by people who didn't know how to make cars. <laughs> uh, the one fatal flaw in the perfect scam. Yeah. 
Because <laughs> Napoleon didn't know how to make cars. Yeah. So this is this is the issue. We're like, I don't think I don't think very functional cars were not being produced by this automotive yeah. school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it was also alleged that Napoleon had stolen a car from some of his business partners, and uh, he was arrested, and his college was put into receivership. Now, none of this stopped Napoleon from continuing to operate his automotive college. Instead, he just changed the focus of the school from teaching people how to build cars to teaching people how to sell cars. So, yep, you got to be able to pivot as a scammer. Logical Napoleon's next step. Learning how to pivot. Mm-hmm. Now, as time went on, the focus of his school drifted further and further away from teaching any kind of marketable skill and towards the sort of multi-level marketing schemes we're very <laughs> familiar with in the 21st century. That Gizmodo article I've been citing highlights an early expose of Hill's scam, an article in Motor World magazine titled, Pointing the Easy Route to Get Rich Quick Land. I went ahead and I found an archived copy of that report, and I'd like to read it now in my best old-timey voice, because I, I really enjoy it. Please. Astonishing and enticing means employed by the greatest automobile college in the world to catch the would-be chauffeur's coin. Masters of gas engines evolved in 12 weeks and before graduation and after. There's money, money everywhere, if not a cent to spend. That's That's pretty good. Fun subtitle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, So the author of this article wrote about uh, Napoleon's revamped fake college that, quote, the whole business is so cunningly planned as to appeal not only to the cupidity of the indolent ne'er-do-well who, in his ignorance, thinks he sees the gates of prosperity standing ajar, but also to the ill-informed but really ambitious youth who has an honest desire to make something of himself and who is willing to devote his scanty savings and infrequent spare hours to the task. Those those ne'er-do-wells always screwing it up for the, the ambitious, yeah. uh, the, the ambitious do-gooders. Do-wells. <laughs> yeah. Now, that that statement could apply equally well to, like, Amway or Young Living Essential Oils or any Mm modern-day MLM. Like, this is before people used the term multi-level marketing. They weren't even calling these pyramid schemes at this point. So Napoleon Hill's really fucking groundbreaking at this stuff. Um, And, like, the actual business practice that he evolved for his auto college is, like, it's really groundbreaking. Um, Basically, okay, I'm I'm just going to read from the article breaking it down. The very day you enroll, the flow of language ripples on. You may, note the grace's permission, begin to send in the names of the young men whom you think might be interested in our course. It is estimated that half of such men will enroll, and as the school pays $3 a head for every student brought in according to this plan, it is suggested that you should pay for your course several times over in this manner. So you Naturally. See, he stops... He stops even selling, like, he says, like, okay, now this is a school where you teach people how to sell cars, but the real business is getting your friends to sign up for the college, mm-hmm. and then you get a cut of what they, like, it's, it's the well, same way know, every MLM Well, you know, the thing, works. Robert, everybody's making money, so why are you mad? Well, uh, I mean, the only downside is that after, like, a, at a certain, like, six weeks or so into this process, mm-hmm. there's no people left six on weeks, Earth to enroll six in the weeks. college. Uh, you know what? I don't like to. I don't like to think that far ahead. I like to live in the now. That's actually why I'm so wealthy and successful. Because I'm not gonna. You yeah. know, these are negative thoughts, and I'm thinking prosperity. I'm thinking for prosperity. You're thinking and growing rich. I am. Yeah. I am. You should try yeah. thinking and growing rich. <laughs> <laughs> On November 11th, 1912, Napoleon and Florence had their second baby boy and the second of their three children. This son was born deaf. Now, according to Napoleon's biography, A Lifetime of Riches, quote, The baby boy was not only born deaf, he was completely without ears. In the years to come, despite the intense fighting with both family and school teachers, Napoleon would never allow the boy to learn sign language. 
Oh my God. (laughs) It gets. Why? He was determined to single handedly teach his deaf son to speak and even to hear. As the boy was growing up, Hill would talk to him for hours with his lips pressed against Blair's cranial bone at the base of the neck, just behind where his ears would normally have been. Wow, that's so creepy. (laughs) Just shouting into his kid's skull. Oh my God. Well, not even (laughs) shouting, just talking with the lips like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, Napoleon's biography claims that this eventually worked out because Napoleon's son had a, a weird bone deformity. Uh, and, like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to read from the biography. Please, These please are, do. I want to note, clearly lies. Like, obviously lies. But this is how his biographers with the Napoleon Hill Foundation explain why it was good that he refused to teach his deaf son sign language. <laughs> Years later, the boy did begin to hear, for it was discovered that the bone itself was conducting sound to his brain, and eventually he wore a specially designed hearing aid that dramatically improved his hearing and speaking abilities. But it was Napoleon who inspired Blair's desire to overcome his handicap. His father never allowed his son to give up. He didn't even allow Blair to consider himself handicapped. Hill taught his son that deafness was simply an adversity that could be triumphed over. Think and become not deaf. (laughs) Yeah, think and grow ears. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's you know fucking wild. You know what's crazy is another way to, quote, overcome the handicap of being deaf is to have sign language and speak sign language. Is, is sign and language? Sign yeah, language. Is, that's is, actually is, how you overcome that disability. Um, you know, yeah. it's that's amazing. So, can you imagine? Oh, my God. I feel I feel for that kid just having to sit with mm-hmm. your dad talking to your skull for hours. Yeah. And he's probably talking all sorts of bullshit about how like being deaf is your fault because you didn't think hard yeah. enough about ears while you were growing or something. Your attitude's not positive <laughs> enough. Yeah. You're not deaf. You're not. <laughs> Incredible. And then, and then to completely and to completely wasn't. censor and mute him his entire life to give him no way to express himself while constantly well, telling him you're not deaf. I, I'll say this, it's it's not as bad as it sounds, Sarah, because Napoleon abandoned his children for the vast majority of their lives, so he's not around all that much. You know, like, I mean, the, right now, that doesn't, that seems is, like the nicer yeah. thing to do. Yeah, I, I would say it's better to be abandoned by Napoleon Hill than parented by <laughs> Absolutely. him. Absolutely. <laughs> now, you know what it's not good to be abandoned by, Sarah? Mm, no. Well, anything. The products really. and services that support this show. Whoa. They would yeah, never they abandon us. They will not us. abandon you. Never, 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 never. They never. will never abandon you. Products. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 
16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation, I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating. And a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. So, uh, as I noted, uh, Napoleon's college collapsed eventually, like all scams do, and he moved his family in with his wife's family to leech more money off of them. Uh, His wife's family helped him get a job at a university by having a family friend who was a judge write him a letter of recommendation. The job was in sales and advertising, but since Napoleon now had a piece of paper in which a judge had written that he was a good guy, Napoleon started using this to claim to be an attorney at law. Even his own biographers admit... This, yeah. Even his own biographers admit this highly exaggerated claim looked impressive on paper, but there is no record of his having performed legal services for anyone. Hey, man, I'm a self-taught attorney, okay? Oh, you want a license? Well, how about this? I yeah. got a note from a judge says I'm cool. Yeah. 
it doesn't even say I'm a lawyer, but would it, would anyone who's not a judge know a lawyer? Who's not a lawyer know a judge? I'm just QED. <laughs> Just imagining it's like a beautiful, like a gilded, looks like a diploma, but then in gothic font, instead of saying his name, it just says, this guy's chill, and then there's a judge's signature. This guy's chill. This guy's chill. A judge. (laughs) A dot judge. If if anyone listening to this is a judge, uh, hit me up on Twitter at IWriteOK, and I'll give you my mailing address, and you can send me a piece of paper that says I'm chill, because I would love to practice law, just as Napoleon Hill didn't. Um, Yeah, that sounds like a hoot. (laughs) <laughs> tape it to my shirt <laughs> hey guys i'm representing so, myself in court yeah so uh napoleon hill worked at uh at that university for a couple of months before quitting in 1915 and getting involved with a candy company which he and his partners renamed the betsy ross candy shop hill was quickly pushed out of the job by his partners likely because they realized he was a gigantic con man who was stealing from them we don't really stealing know. candy but we do know Stealing money, I think. They bought this company together, and he was probably just stealing from the company Mm. because he's Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Um, We don't know exactly what went down. He's thinking about growing rich. Look, he's not stealing. He's He's manifesting wealth. He manifested wealth from the cash register to his pockets. Yeah. Uh, we don't know exactly what happens happened there, but uh, Hill claims that his business partners had him, quote, arrested on false charges. Hmm. Uh, he never specified what those charges were, but he claims he was forced to hand over his stakes in the company. Very sad. So Napoleon Hill would spend most of the 19-teens leaping from one failure to another. In September 1915, he created another fake school, the George Washington Institute, which he claimed was dedicated to teaching the principles of success. Part of this class was apparently having his students write hundreds of letters to newspapers supporting Napoleon Hill's race for a seat in the U.S. Congress. Now, he never ran for Congress, but it seems so, like Wait. It, we don't know why he did this. This seems like he was just trying another scam, but it didn't get off the ground. Yeah. Like, he just had so many scams going. Yeah. But yeah. What, an, what, a, what a weird move. It's like, yeah, you know, it's maybe maybe it's so when he if he was like, if I run later, I can be like, look at all this grassroots support I have. Yeah, I think a guy like Napoleon, like, you know, ABS, always be scamming. Yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, while you got your main scam you're working on, right. you're trying to seed little other totally. scams. Totally, because not all you know? scams not all scams will last. So you got to plant a lot of seeds. Not all scams will last. you got to diversify. Right, because I was like, like wow, he's already, like running, how... he's already running a, a school scam, right? He's already getting money yeah. out of that. Now he's going to, like, let that feed into a larger, more legitimate scam of being the, a politician. Like, wow, this is like, like really good, but I guess he couldn't he couldn't hack it. Like the George Washington Institute is his day job and having people write letters to newspapers telling him to run for Congress is his equivalent of a four oh one K. Like that's like his that's like his <laughs> yeah, security. He's, like he's, yeah. He's putting some scam away for later. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This one's um, for my kids. Yeah. Uh no, he wouldn't leave anything yeah, to right. his fucking kids. This is Napoleon Hill <laughs> we're talking about. <laughs> They can think and grow rich themselves. <laughs> uh, next, I'm going to quote again from Gizmodo's Matt Novak. Quote, some students of the George Washington Institute would accuse Hill's unaccredited school of fraud, and it too had a very short life. According to his biographers, Hill returned the favor of one student's criticism by alerting the FBI of the German-American kid's suspicious activities. The student was supposedly arrested for the duration of World War I. Oh my fucking God. <laughs> Such a piece of shit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Damn, he yeah. does not play at all. No, he does not he's fuck just gonna, around. If you're like, hey, this Except school he, is a scam. Yeah. He's like, I'm sending you to jail. You tell the FBI you you're a fucking spy. Wow. Yeah. 
Cool guy. Yeah, he's a real piece abuses of shit. his children, cool dude. Uh, immigrants, all all people trying to learn a trade. He's definitely. I I have not run across any racism in this story. So like, as far as I know, Napoleon Hill would have scammed a black man as well as a white man. You know, um, Napoleon didn't see color, just green, baby. Just green, baby. That's the only color. Yeah. <laughs> um, although it's also possible he just only fleeced white people because he completely ignored that anyone else existed. That's pretty likely, uh, yeah. I, I really don't know anything about his attitude on race relations. I'm mean, going to assume not yeah, great. Yeah, we can, I think we can um, safely, safely surmise. Now, the George Washington Institute quickly collapsed, uh, and by 1917, Napoleon Hill was trying to sue the Illinois General Railroad because he said the lighting on their cars was bad for his mm-hmm. eyesight and had caused him to need glasses. So he gets a little bit desperate yeah, near the end of Yeah, he's really diversifying, but, but not in a great way. <laughs> We, yeah, he's. He, this has been like a sad yeah. arc. You get from like this legitimately kind of cunning automotive yeah, college that was scam like a good to idea. like suing the railroad for fucking up your yeah, eyes. Yeah, I light mean, bulbs. ambulance chasers <laughs> next. You know. Yeah. By 1918, the Better Business Bureau attacked him after revealing that his success school was really just a barely camouflaged stock-selling scheme. The magazine Postage reported that, quote, while it appeared on the face of the operation that he sought students for the educational course he offered, there was evidence that his chief object was to sell stock in the enterprise. Mm. Napoleon apparently convinced people to buy stocks in his college by claiming it had a capital value of over $100,000. In reality, the entirety of the enterprise was worth around $1,200 at best. (laughs) Napoleon was once again, yeah, yeah. He was arrested again, uh, and this arrest seems to have convinced his long-suffering wife to finally cut ties with him. Uh, all these failures in a row certainly had a deleterious effect on Hill's morale, as you might imagine. The New York Times noted, quote, Hill regarded such setbacks as a test of his faith, but he was not immune to despair. After another one of his business failures, he confessed, I had spent the better portion of my life chasing a rainbow. I had begun to place myself in the category of charlatans who offers a remedy for failure which they themselves cannot successfully apply. Wow, a lot of self-awareness for such a piece of shit. That is a, a shocking amount of and self-awareness And it is also insane a, that at man. this point in his life, he's like, people think I'm a charlatan. <laughs> yeah. You guys... Well, better like, start be, another success, Be goal. honest with me. Does everyone think I'm a charlatan? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. He, he says that, like, as he's uh, setting up, like, a shell game or something yeah. like that in the middle <laughs> yeah. of, like, downtown Manhattan. He's rolling like, loaded dice. Con man? Yeah. Do you want to buy some lumber, by the way? Do people trust me? <laughs> Now, by 1919, Napoleon Hill had gotten tired of jumping from scam to scam, sometimes a step of, ahead of the law, but often several steps behind it. He decided that from now on, his life was going to be different. And his first step to winning that different step was to weaponize the golden rule. Yes, the golden rule. Mm-hmm. Do unto others as you would have them do unto mm-hmm. you. On its surface, it seems like one of the least problematic things a human being could believe or advocate. But our friend Napoleon found a way to make it problematic. He founded Golden Rule Magazine, which he used to outline his new philosophy on life. This is Napoleon Hill's philosophy on the Golden Rule. Quote, It seems ridiculous to refer to the Golden Rule as a weapon, but that's just what it is, a weapon that no resistance on earth can withstand. The Golden Rule is a powerful weapon in business because there is so little competition in its application. What a psychopath. Yeah, yeah. So Matt Novak explains, quote, Hill's understanding of the golden rule meant that people would become indebted to you for providing something to them. It was a weapon. Rather than do unto others as you would have them do unto you, he believed that by providing something to someone or simply showing them kindness, they owed you something in return. 
So that's how the golden rule works for Napoleon Oh, Hill. my God. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Now, Golden Rule Magazine was founded using money from a, a couple uh, with the last name of Cox, and they were a, a wealthy couple who owned the General Oil Company, and they were looking to drum up more investors for their business, and that was kind of the purpose that they had oh for this God. magazine that oh Hill was God. running. Oh so God. their plan was for Hill oh, to basically no. use his magazine. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I hate this so much. <laughs> Oh, God. Their plan was for Hill to use his magazine to convince people that General Oil was a great thing to this invest in. This is fucking in. cartoonish, so, like, it's, man. The whole magazine It's an oil is a company yeah. starting a magazine that's like, remember what Jesus said? Here's how you can yeah. use it to make yourself rich. Yeah. In April of 1919, Hill wrote an article in his magazine titled, An Interesting Man and His Wife, the Coxes, Who Have Made a Million Dollars for Other People. Wow. The article claimed that the Coxes were using a million dollars of their profits to fund scholarships for American veterans. Philanthropy is this was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was untrue, uh, obviously. There was no, no million dollars set aside for veterans. And Hill and the Coxes would be sued by the FTC in October of that year for fraudulent <laughs> advertising. Uh, but being sued for fraud did not stop Napoleon Hill from producing his ever? magazine about the Golden Rule. Yeah. In May of 1922, he awarded a chiropractor by the name of B.J. Palmer what he called Hill's Golden Medal. Uh, Hill claimed that the w- award was based on 150,000 votes cast by subscribers of his magazine, who among them from places far away as Japan, Italy, Australia, and England. Uh, Woodrow Wilson came in second place. What? Now. There were no subscribers to Golden Hill Magazine. Just a couple, I mean, maybe a couple of dozen. This was all a lie. But this is like what he was getting at when he, with his golden rule philosophy. Uh It was basically the way that he actually acted on that is he would present awards to prominent citizens, politicians, and celebrities, Uh and then use that opportunity to like get pictures with them and talk with them and try to get them to either invest in his scams or to let him use their name and credibility so he could trick other people into scams. Wow. So that's what the, that's how that's the golden rule as yeah. as used by Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Well, you know, now we call it swag, baby. <laughs> you give them some free yeah. stuff, they got a gram about yeah. it. Now it's just being an influencer. Yeah. Like, yeah. Napoleon <laughs> Hill was like the original influencer. Yeah. In 1922, Napoleon Hill used this tactic to start up a partnership with T.O. Teed, a prominent chaplain and humanitarian. Hill and Teed started a charity that on its face provided educations to prisoners in Ohio to help rehabilitate oh, them. Don't tell me what the it really does. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, it's, Please, it's bad. Please, just let me it's believe. <laughs> Please. Yeah, yeah. So Napoleon would go from town to town raising money for this program, telling newspapers things like, what we're trying to do here is mentally meet these men who are shut off from the outside world. We're going to prove to them that they have something to look forward to, then put in their hands the tools which they can carve out their future. Yes, absolutely. Yes, right? I, I, the oppressor, yeah. am going to give you, the oppressed, the tools you need to escape my oppression. That's what I'm going to do because I'm really good and nice. I wouldn't call Napoleon an oppressor, just because he's been arrested a shitload of times and spent a lot of time <laughs> yes. in jail himself. That's a good point. <laughs> like because he's a criminal con man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but of course, there was no actual charity. Mm-hmm. Um, he was essentially running like the monorail scheme from The Simpsons, but with a charity aimed at raising money to like provide education to, uh, to prisoners. In Shelby, Ohio in 1923, Napoleon collected more than $1,000 from kind-hearted locals who were happy to raise funds to give convicts a chance at a better mm-hmm. life. A lot of the money came from a group of local school children who raised the cash because they were just so compassionate about the 
the the convicts oh that Hill had you know painted a picture of how he was going to help them. Uh, Hill spent much of the 1920s following the same basic pattern. He'd go from town to town, sweet talk decent folk into donating money to help these people, and then he'd skip town, never to be seen again. By the late 1920s, however, this scam had run its course. Napoleon's wife, uh, he had a new wife now, Florence, was uh, starting to you know get pissed off with him. Um, he wound up in Philadelphia, broke and befriended a publisher named Pelton. And this is sort of when Napoleon's life starts to change. So by the late 20s, like he's been run out of most of like the Midwest and the South and is hiding out in Philadelphia. He's got a new wife and she too has some family money, but she's pissed at him. And uh, can't yeah, imagine he, why. Uh, befriends a pub- <laughs> yeah, can't imagine why. Um, so he befriends a publisher, a guy named Pelton, um, and convinces this guy that he has a great idea for a new self-help book called The Law of Success. So Napoleon started to weave a fantastic story for Pelton, claiming that back in 1908 he'd sat down with Andrew Carnegie, one of the wealthiest and most successful men in America, mm-hmm. and been handed a sacred task to collect all of the success secrets of the greatest men in history Whoa. and distill them into a sort of science of success. Yes, it's like the Da Vinci now, Code, but for success. Yeah, exactly. The success code. <laughs> now, Andrew Carnegie's as bones should be are obvious. <laughs> under the loof. Yeah, <laughs> he's, well, he's still alive at this oh, okay. point. okay. Well, that's um, what we think. So, yeah, uh, as should be obvious to everybody, this meeting never took yep. place. Um, like, he, there, there's zero evidence whatsoever uh, that Napoleon Hill ever met Andrew Carnegie. What do you mean there's no evidence? But, he, Napoleon Hill said it yeah. happened. He, he did say it happened, and here's how uh, his biography describes this uh, like historic meeting mm-hmm. between Andrew Carnegie and Napoleon Hill, the two greatest minds in the history of success. Quote, The richest heritage a young man can have is to be born into poverty, Carnegie told him. He saw his own humble origins not as a deterrent to success, but rather as the inspiration to overcome all obstacles and attain seemingly impossible goals. If one had a strong sense of self-worth, Carnegie claimed, no degree of impoverishment could hold one back. Individuals who achieve outstanding success are not born with some peculiar quality of genius not possessed by others. Confidence is a state of mind. It is under the control of the individual, not an inborn trait, and the starting point for developing that self-confidence is the definiteness of purpose. This was Carnegie's cardinal rule in his philosophy of personal achievement. The man who knows exactly what he wants has a definite plan for getting it and is actually engaged in carrying out that plan has no difficulty in believing his own ability to succeed. Only the man who procrastinates soon loses confidence and winds up doing nothing. But what happens, Hill asked, when a man knows what he wants, has a plan, puts it into action, and meets with failure? Doesn't that destroy his confidence? Carnegie smiled. I hope you would ask that, because it is important to understand what I'm about to tell you. I believe that every failure carries with it, in the circumstances of the failure itself, the seed of an equivalent advantage. If you examine the lives of truly great leaders, you will discover that their success is in exact proportion to their mastery of failures. Life has a way of developing strength and wisdom in individuals through temporary defeat. So you can see why people would find this compelling. Yeah, um, um, it, it kind of leaves yeah. out all of the exploitation of other people that uh, went along with Andrew Carnegie's financial success. Yes, completely, yes. And it also, again, it puts the onus of failure on the people who are not uh, materially successful. Right, if you're not um, rich, then it's because you're yeah. not good. It's just you're not brave enough or good enough. Yeah. <laughs> you're just not... And here's it's, the thing. It's not your fault, but you're also just not good or brave or smart. So... 
Um, yeah. If if you were, then you would be richer because that's what that's what I did. Um, and it was all because of you my thoughts. You could have chosen, and because I thought be so hard like about me. success yeah. every night, I thought about it. Yeah. Why did Why didn't you think? Yeah. About why don't being you try thinking about as it as hard as me? If you did, your kids would have bread. <laughs> uh, and again, I just want to make it clear. I don't think Andrew Carnegie ever expressed anything like this. This oh, is absolutely. all Napoleon Hill yeah. putting words in Carnegie's mouth. I don't know anything about the man, but I'm sure he didn't say this yeah. shit. Uh, so next, according to Hill, Carnegie explained to him that in his conversations with other rich men like Henry Ford and Thomas Edison, he'd learned that all wealthy men had similar stories. They'd all risen to greatness via trial and error and totally earned the wealth the universe had bestowed upon them. Yes, yes, Carnegie yes. told Hill that he'd become convinced that the average person could gain wealth by studying the lives of great businessmen and replicating their tactics. All that was necessary was for some enterprising soul to go out Talk to the great leaders and successful men of the world. Translate their wisdom into an easy-to-read guide for the average reader. Wow. So, this is the task that Andrew Carnegie you sets You know what? He didn't Napoleon ask for it. It was merely bestowed mm-hmm. upon him as a mission. It was thrust upon him. thrust upon him, him. So to, Carnegie go, to go him, out, you know, like an explorer, yeah. collect the gem secrets of business success, um, and, uh, and then bring them to the common man so that we can all become yeah, as successful... You- in money as him, a con man. Yeah. He's like, I want you to be the Indiana Jones of rich people. And like, like <laughs> of rich people's steal opinions. Steal the golden idols of how to run businesses from their uh, yeah, temples of, okay. That's, yeah. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that, the, 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 this is like, so Hill claims that like Andrew Carnegie sets him this task and that Carnegie tells him it's going to take 20 years to complete the oh mission. Oh my God, Andrew Carnegie is this um, like old like elder who lives on a mountain and is like, my son, yeah. you must collect the secrets. I give you 20 that, That's years. exactly the story that, uh, that Hill tells. And conveniently enough, he pitches this book in 1928, which is 20 years after uh, he claims he had his fake meeting with Andrew of Carnegie. Of course, he's been he's spent so, the last 20 years not um, <laughs> tricking people into building cars for him, but uh, collecting yeah success secrets. Yeah, in between fleecing small towns out of their spare money <laughs> and uh, and running multiple fake colleges, he was <laughs> interviewing the great thinkers of the world about success. Um, so next, according to Hill's biography, quote, Hill confessed that he not only shared Carnegie's utopian vision, but believed it could be accomplished. That was exactly what Carnegie wanted to hear. With his usual bluntness, he turned to Hill and, without for any further preamble, inquired if he felt equal to the challenge of undertaking this great work himself. Hill was honored and amazed that Carnegie saw in him someone worthy of the task, but Napoleon Hill believed he was. It took him less than half a minute to accept the offer. In fact, it took exactly 29 seconds, according to Carnegie, who had taken out his stopwatch and was timing Hill's response. (laughs) Afterwards, he told Hill that he had given him a maximum of 60 seconds to come to a decision. If it had taken even one second longer than that, Carnegie said, the offer would have been withdrawn because a man who cannot reach a decision promptly once he has all the necessary facts cannot be depended upon to carry through any decision he may make. It's bad to think through your decisions. Make... That's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's bad to it's think definitely through. Bad. It's bad to spend more than a minute yeah. deciding whether to take on an it, unpaid 20-year quest. I mean, quest. this is why I'm not rich is because I, th- I think about decisions a lot, <laughs> you know? I, uh, I I don't know if, you know, could I have accepted such a daunting task, the daunting task of going around to old rich men and asking them how they got so rich? I don't know, man. I don't know if I have the strength of character for that. No, no. That's why, you know, you're not Napoleon mm-hmm. Hill. 
You you lack the strength of character to kidnap your own child, <laughs> uh, run a fake automotive school, and st- steal lumber. <laughs> oh, man, so, I'm really um, doing this all wrong. I got to read the book. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm telling this story so other people can follow in Napoleon's. I've done sort of what he yeah. did, and I'm taking all of the I wisdom see. of his yeah. life and condensing it for you. Yeah. So yeah, everything I've just read you—that's the story that Napoleon Hill told Pelton, the guy who you know, the publisher, the, the publisher guy, yeah. that he befriended. And it was—it's a good story. Like that's a, oh, great, it's a great idea story. for Especially a book. Especially the thing about yeah, I a, only had thirty seconds to decide, and he would have with you know that's just yeah. like a a real heightening of the stakes. That he was a good uh, a good storyteller. Yeah. Now there was only one problem because he had Pelton. As soon as Pelton, Pelton being a smart guy, like here's the story, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I could totally, sell a book totally. with that with that premise." Uh, but there's an issue, which is that Napoleon Hill is destitute, and if he'd spent the last twenty years learning all of the secrets of success, <laughs> he 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 would probably not be destitute. So. Napoleon had to find a way to pretend to have some money uh-huh. in a meeting with this guy in order Man, to convince him. He's been training his whole that, life like, for this. Yeah, exactly. So we're going to talk about how he did that and Napoleon's first major financial success in part two. But right now, uh, Sarajun, would you plug some pluggables? Because it is the end of this Absolutely. episode. Absolutely. Uh, I will plug uh, my website, uh, heysarajun.com, H-E-Y-S-A-R-A-J-U-N-E. Uh, you can see where I am doing comedy shows. You can come to my comedy show, High Priestess, if you're in L.A., highpriestesscomedy.com. I'm on Venmo and Instagram at HeySaraJune. I'm on the Daily Zeitgeist sometimes. And this is a great podcast. Thank you for listening to it. I'm Robert Evans. You can find me on Twitter at IWriteOkay. You can find this podcast and all the sources for it at BehindTheBastards.com. You can find uh, us on the Gram and the Twits at AtBastardsPod. And those are the only places in the world that you can find us. So don't... Don't go looking anywhere else. Take these clues, go my young success magicians. Use them to find mm-hmm. the success you seek. If you can track me down <laughs> on the top of the mountain where I live, I will quest. I will. I will. I will put you with a quest of talking to all of the worst dictators in the world and distilling their secrets of success. Uh, and once you put all the success jewels in in the crown, then uh, you will manifest uh, richness. But uh, not for you, for yeah. some other guy, for uh, for another guy who's a bug. For, yeah. <laughs> all right, that's the episode. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday with part two. Bye. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.